You were saying you have a removal in this area? Yeah, uh, doing a vermiculite removal right now. Um, we set up yesterday, um, which involves setting up a full containment. And then we've started removal today. So yeah, I've got a couple of guys up in the attic crawling around, <laughs> bagging all the stuff right now. So yeah, it's going well. Yeah. So how did the homeowner know to call you guys? Um, I think most of, most of the time we get found on Google. Um, I think that's a big um, advertisement for us. And yeah, that's kind of where we're found the majority of the time. And it's always just starts with just a few questions. And, you know, we try to answer as best as we can. And then, you know, we, we come to the house usually and, uh, you know, go through everything that needs to be done. So with the setup, what's all involved when you get the results back from the lab? So it says it's positive. Yeah, so that's always the first step is to get a material tested. So, you know, there's plenty of materials such as um, drywall, muds, uh, vermiculite, uh, plaster, um, some flooring such as linoleum, tiles. Um, they're kind of the main ones in residential homes. So we get the results back, something comes back positive. Uh, if you want to have it removed, then that's where we do uh, the full containment. Um, so we come in, we set up, we put up poly on walls, um, and then completely separate the area that we're going to be doing the removal. Uh, we separate that from the rest of the house, uh, have that area under negative pressure, and then with um, HEPA, HEPA negative air machines, and then we have decontamination units. So when we're doing high risk, we do have to get fully naked and go in containment <laughs> because you know we've got to wear the asbestos suits. Um, so we put on our respirators, full uh, full respirators, full suits. Um, so then when we're coming out, we take off our suits and then we have to shower off. So we have a full shower set up. Um, that's just to get any, uh, any fibers that might still be on your body, uh, just to get those washed off. Um, so we shower out. And then once we've showered out, that's when we uh, can come out and put our street clothes back on. And, you know, yeah, so there's a bit of a process to it. <laughs> <laughs> so the shower helps get all the asbestos off of your clothing? Exactly, yeah. So it just washes it away. Um, and then we filter the, the, the water that's been used in the shower. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of to get yourself nice and clean uh, from, you know, being in containment. But the suit that you wear, it kind of covers 90% of your body anyway. So... When you take off the suits, you're kind of taking off any um, asbestos fibers that might be that might have been on you anyway. So that's uh, it's more just to, to make sure to to do the final final check and final clean. Just that last one percent. Exactly, and that's that's what matters. You know, when we're dealing with asbestos, is making sure we do things you know, as as hundred percent correct as we can. You know, that's the that's the important part. Yeah, because it sounds it's pretty dangerous stuff though. Yeah, I mean, so obviously it's recently that the dangers have kind of been highlighted. Uh, WorkSafe Saskatchewan are doing a great job in promoting, um, you know, the dangers, uh, especially DIY, um, you know, to contractors who maybe didn't know much about it. So, you know, some of the main things are mesothelioma, um, asbestosis and lung cancer. So anything to do with your respiratory system, that's kind of the main um, thing that asbestos affects um, so you know and those diseases they can come 20 30 years after being exposed so um, you know it's 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 pretty serious stuff yeah you know? definitely yeah. so you have to filter the water yep yep we have micron filters that we uh, filter the water through as well so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's there's there's so much to it and this is all 
like laid out for us in the Saskatchewan Abatement Manual. It's a you know a policy that the Saskatchewan government put together, um, and it tells us exactly what we need to do uh, procedure-wise to do safe removals of asbestos. Um, and it's out there. It's out there for anyone to see, and you know we've we've got to follow it the correct way. What stood out to you with the safety guidelines? Um, in terms of what stood out, it's I mean it's just very intense in which it should be. You know, it's um, you know you've got to do things the right way and there's certain procedures in how to do it. And honestly, me personally, I like I like that. Like I love procedures and I love like following rules. Um, you know, I did a little stint in the territorial army uh, back in England and. You know, kind of, I love like the structure and, you know, being able to follow set guidelines and do things the right way. That's just kind of how I am. So, you know, that kind of stood out to me is like, okay, this is exactly how we do it. We have to follow this. And if we do that, we're doing things right. And I like that. Oh, you enjoy the checklist. This, this I do. is it. Yeah, yeah. All about the checklist, and the, <laughs> the systems and the processes. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the only way you can do the job, you know, successfully, really. Yeah, because yep. there's so many little things if you don't have that perfect checklist that yep. can slip through the cracks. Exactly. And, you know, in other jobs, yeah, you make a mistake. Okay, well, you know, I made a little mistake. But with something like asbestos, you can't be making those mistakes. You've got to be doing everything right all the time, you know, to, to be doing it the right way. Yeah, there's a low margin of error. Exactly. And, you know, it's not rocket science. It's, uh, you know, it's it's not complicated but you just need to know exactly what the procedures are and you just need to follow them to the to the book really what's the main complexity that you have to handle when you're removing this asbestos or even setting up yeah i mean so the containments have to be set up a certain way um you know you're going to make sure there's no breaches uh completely sealed um so you know that just comes with time just knowing like I can walk into a home and know what to remove and just be able to look at a space and be like, okay, so I put poly up there. I set up the decontamination units here. And, you know, that's just come through experience of doing this for years. Um, and then like the procedures, like the hardest part is kind of, you know, making sure you're exiting the containment the right way. So, you know, like I was mentioning, we're taking the suit off and, you know, doing the, the showering out and, and stuff like that. So. so what's the proper way to exit containment? Yeah, so you, you you go into the dirty room. There's three separate containment uh, um, decontamination units. You go into the dirty room, take off your suit, HEPA vacuum, anything off. Um, then you go into the shower. And from there, you keep your respirator on. Um, you shower, shower your, your face and your body and anything that was exposed. Then you take the respirator off. And then you, you wash your face, shower your face and your hands and make sure you're completely clean. And then you come out, dry yourself, put your clothes back on, and then you give the respirator a good clean and, and <laughs> wipe down and everything. So, they smell so, out yeah. everything to the tea, including how you shower. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got to do things exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've, I've just been going through that on, on this current job with my, with my employees. So it's been great to kind of, you know, do the step by step with them and, and go through the process. So. Yeah, it's always a good refresher. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. What was that Terry Amby thing you said about doing some some work overseas? Oh, Territorial Army. Um, so it's like the Army Reserves. Oh, Territorial Army. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of what I did when I was um, in university. I kind of did that on the sides, um, you know, to become an infantry soldier. 
Um, but I never, I did, I passed my basic training, but never, you know, then I actually moved to Canada. So <laughs> I got through my basic training and everything and then didn't uh, take it any further. But, you know, it was a great experience. And honestly, in, a, in an alternative life, I could see I probably would have ended up in the army and, I actually applied a couple of times, but they didn't get in. So, <laughs> so maybe in a different life, that's something I would have done. Oh, know. really? Yep. I yep. gotcha. What lessons do you learn from the basic training that you transferred over to your life doing the removal now? So, yeah, like I say, um, I like systems, I like processes, and I like structure. So with the Army, it's probably the most structured organization in the world, like you know, you've got your sets, people that do certain jobs and they do it in a certain way and everyone knows their place and kind of, you know, is is like set in their ways and it's it's all laid out there. And I just, I like that. I think it's very efficient and it kind of, you know, maybe it's not the most creative way, but, um, you know, in terms of efficiency, I believe that's that's the best way to go. So, and like, that's just kind of what I've tried to carry through from those experiences. I try to carry that through into my business. Yeah, because they've already made the mistakes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So why keep on making those mistakes if uh, <laughs> you know you can already implement it to, to new people? Yeah, for sure. Yep. So when you are exiting the house that you're removing from, yep. you go right into the dirty room? Yeah, so it's the containment. We usually have a containment inside of the house. So it's a separate area inside the house. Anything outside of the containment is considered safe because... All the um, asbestos fibers are kept inside the containment. And that's where those uh, HEPA filtration uh, machines come in. They keep the area under negative pressure. So there's a certain um, you know, pressure that we need to keep the containment under. So that means that no asbestos fibers are escaping from that area. Oh, so it's a vacuum. Air wants to come into that area because it's negative pressure. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. So that's... All the air that's coming into the the containment is coming through the decontamination units and going into the machines, and then it's being vented out um, f after being filtered through HEPA filtration. Vented outside is usually is usually what we do. Ooh. What's your best case scenario? Say textbook removal. What's your favorite thing to do? Honestly, I I love vermiculite removals. Like it's so satisfying because. You go up into the attic and there's a lot of insulation, but with a vermiculite removal, it's very clear what exactly needs to be done. You're removing the insulation. So, you know, it's, um, you go up there and it seems so slow at first. It's, uh, you know, you just, it's, it can be a little bit overwhelming. It's like, there's so much insulation and you're doing it all by hand. You're, you're putting it into bags, tying the bags off. And, you know, it just seems like a lot. But once you get going and then you start seeing your progress and I love like being able to do it in like a systemized way. So we'll go to one end of the attic and kind of work our way, you know, towards the the access hatch. And, you know, you do one, one row at a time, make sure the row is looking good, nice and clean. And then, you know, once you've got the bulk of it out, um, then you do, you get the bags out. So everything's double bagged in six mil poly. So you, you put it in one bag and then you come through the, the decontamination chambers and you put it into another bag after it's been wiped down. And then that double bag goes straight into a, a, a asbestos bin. And then from there, it goes straight to the, to the landfill. Yeah, so, I mean, the most satisfying part for me is the HEPA vacuuming that comes after it. So 
once you've got the bulk of it out, you go in with a HEPA vacuum and you get all the fine details, all the dust, everything else like that. So you're kind of making sure to have it, you know, looking really good. And it's just really satisfying to see from what it was to what it is in the end. And, you know, visually you can see that you've done a good job. So, yeah. And then with other, with other um, removals, such as drywall, uh, you know, plaster removals, you know, you, you get to see what you've removed, but there's just something extra satisfying with uh, vermiculite removals. Yeah, because that yeah. attic is just, it's clean now. It's clean, yeah, <laughs> it looks so good. Like, And then, you know, the, we also find so much stuff up there as well, like old magazines and paper clippings and, you know, there's been doll houses and no money yet. <laughs> We've not found any gold or any money or anything, but... Yeah, definitely. There's a uh, you know there's some interesting things we can find up there. What's something that stands out that you found up up in the attic? Um, an old um, I, I suppose I call it a pram, but an old uh, stroller, like a nineteen thirty stroller with like suspension on the wheels, like for, yeah. for a baby. Yeah, for a baby. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, like we we tried wiping it down and you know saving it but yeah i don't i don't think we could have saved it so but oh. yeah it's just you know people use the attics for storage which <laughs> is fine as long as it doesn't have vermiculite up there and you know but again people didn't know you yeah. know that many years ago so yeah yeah it's fine as long as there's not poison up there exactly yeah, yeah. you're removing it by hand yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, um, you know, that's just how I find it very efficient to do. There is alternative methods. There's, um, there is one way that you can get a big um, vac unit, which is a, it kind of sucks out all the insulation instead. Uh, but then you're running the holes from outside and it's a big noisy machine. And, you know, it's a bit more disruptive, um, you know, to to the neighborhood and stuff like that but that is an alternative way of doing it as well is it just sucks out the the insulation and then it gets filtered and disposed of as asbestos waste yeah but it adds more baggage to what you're doing and then the neighborhood's disturbed yeah and there's there's more people that are involved like you have to have a crew of like four or five guys just to run the machine and and then it gets clogged because you've got a piece of bat insulation and you know and then you're down and it's just you know it's just a there's a few more complications to it and then the cost of even the machine just to to purchase <laughs> to begin with is is a lot so it's a it's a big investment to make yeah it's noisy too exactly it's not as relaxing it sounds as if when you're up there you're getting kind of a, a work zone that's it yeah you get in the flow state <laughs> and you just you just get into, you know, your rhythm and you're just, you know, doing a row at a time, making sure it's good and then you just keep, keep, uh, you know, flowing like that. That sounds so nice when you describe it that way. It, I, I find it that way. I don't think everybody does. Like it takes a certain type of person to, you know, appreciate that. But I, I like it. I mean, you know, if if the job's going well, you can put in headphones, you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to music, you know, and you just, you just kind of get in the, you know, get in the flow. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst job you've ever done? Um, ah, oh, okay. Last year we did a fire, a fire damaged uh, property. It was completely, completely, you know, destroyed. Um, and it was just plastic containing asbestos and, uh, there was no water, no heat. And it was just coming into winter, but we had that cold snap at the start. So it was minus 20 outside and as i was saying with the shower you've still got to shower out you've still got to do all that so and because it was the whole building we had to have the entire you know building contained and then we had to have our decontamination units outside 
So, yeah, coming out, it's like it wasn't too bad inside because you're working, you know, you're, you're producing energy, you're, you're heating your suit up and you've got clothes over the top that are just kind of disposed within containment. But then when you have to get naked and come out and do the <laughs> do the showering out, that's when it got real chilly. And, you know, you definitely, uh, you speed up doing that. So, yeah, that was not a fun one. Very, very cold. But, you know, it needed to be done. It was, um, you know, it was being demolished, the building itself. And you've got to get rid of the asbestos first before you can demolish the building. So it had to be done. And, yeah, it was just uh, unfortunate timing, really. <laughs> what yeah. made it so you had to do it negative 20? Yep. Yep. I mean, inside, like I say, it wasn't, it didn't feel like that. And you're working and you've got the clothes oh, on. No, so. I meant what made it so you had to do it in the winter. Oh, they had a timeline on when it was to be demolished. So, you know, we, they called us up. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll do that. Cause it wasn't that cold. I think it was November and it was only like minus five. I was like, yeah, we can get that done. Nope. Yep. Saskatchewan weather, you know, cold snap and yeah, it hits and it hit hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you pump yourself up to do this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like I say, they they are the hard ones. They're the ones that's like, oh, I wish I wasn't doing this right now. They're, it actually makes you want to stay in containment and just work because you, you're not looking forward to showering out to, when you have to come out. So it's a bit more motivation to just get in there and, and get going and get working. Like you, you speed up, that's for sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you learn from that? Don't do complete removals in the winter you know <laughs> you know <laughs> try yeah try to schedule them for you know when it's uh, spring's perfect i love spring and fall like even with the attic insulation removals in summertime it just gets ridiculously hot so we try to limit how many we do um but yeah spring and fall it's great for those removals but yeah don't do any complete removals in the winter <laughs> <You know. laughs> that makes sense yeah so when you're setting up the containment what's how are you making it so the seams are perfect yeah so we use tuck tape um and we overlap you know um the the poly on different sides and then on the flooring we do two layers of poly and then you know we're con completely wrapping it and using we use painter's tape on the walls and then we use uh, tuck tape to you know adhere the the poly to the the painter's tape and then generally we try to build the containments on solid surfaces so we'll use existing walls um you know to kind of give that you know that structure that rigidity yeah and then it's only really where you're exiting uh, entering and exiting that's the only place really where you might not have a wall but then that's where your decontamination units are you know um attached to anyway and just double taping both sides and just making sure, yeah, for sure. How do you test if everything's perfect? Um, so you can do a visual check. And then also, like I said, um, you have to keep it at a certain level for negative pressure. So we have a manometer that reads the negative pressure inside of the containment. Um, you know, we've got to do hourly monitoring of uh, how the pressure's doing inside the containment. So with vermiculite removals, it does change because as you're removing stuff, you know, you do actually... Uh, start losing pressure so you do need to you know constantly be managing it but and then say you open up a wall you might make the the containment area bigger so then you need to you know maybe add more negative air or turn the negative machines up or oh so you have this that. machine that's that's sucking air in yep and yep. then it tell does it tell you on there no this is a separate machine that we you know just use to monitor we so we have a separate tube that goes into containment and then this tube is attached to a manometer 
that reads what the negative pressure inside the containment is. And then that's, we can just manually see that and monitor it and, you know, make changes if, if we need to. It's called a manometer? Yeah, I think that's the generic term for a meter that reads something. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what the, you, you know. know. that it, it reads the, at least it, it tells you the negative pressure. It reads the negative pressure in pascals. I know the, the, the measurement is pascals, but I don't, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know exactly, <laughs> you know, what that, what that measures. That's the easier measurement for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you have to double, so you bag the, you bag the asbestos. And then you have to rinse off that bag. That's right. And then you put it in another bag. That's right. Yep. And then you take that bag and you put it into an asbestos bin. So the, the bin is just a generic bin um, that's, you know, that just is sat on the street or something. So it's just outside of, uh, outside of the house. Okay. And then yeah. is that over? What's the next process to get rid of this asbestos? Yeah. So as long as everything's double bagged, it's safe to go to the landfill. But then the landfill themselves have their own uh, procedures that they have to follow in terms of burying the asbestos waste. So they don't just take it to the top of the mountain or, you know, like do, you know, dispose of it with the rest of the, the garbage. They have um, protocols that they have to adhere to from, from the Saskatchewan government themselves. So I believe they've got to bury it under so much feet of dirt. Um, and you tell them this, I'm taking an asbestos load in. Yeah. So when you, I mean, just when you order the bin, you just let them know that it's asbestos waste. And they, they obviously take care of everything else from there. They know exactly what they need to do um, to dispose of the asbestos waste. Oh, I see. Yeah. What specialized equipment do you need to do all the asbestos removal? So you have the... What is it? The negative pressure machine, the That's nanometer. Right. Yep. And then you have the, the decontamination unit. Decontamination what's, unit. What's yep. all involved in that decontamination unit? Um, so they're just, we call them pop-ups. Um, so they're just like a three foot by three foot self-contained room almost. And they just, they fall flat and then you just put poles in them and they just kind of raise, raise up. So, you know, you can stand up in them and they're just kind of like their own separate rooms. Um, you can also build like decontamination stations out of poly, um, the same stuff that we use for building the containments. You can build that stuff as well. But with residential, it's such tight space that you're dealing with that these pop-ups, they work really well just to kind of be separate and, you know, um, separate areas really well. And then the showers are specialized, you know, shower that's uh, its own decontamination room itself. And then... Other material, we kind of, we have HEPA filtered uh, vacuums. You can't just use a regular vacuum because you'd be just blowing asbestos fibers all over. So you've got to use a specialist, um, you know, HEPA vacuum that filters out any of the, the fibers as it's, as it's exhausting. Yeah. What's yeah. involved with the shower? Where do you get all the water or the pressure? What's what happening with that? Yeah. So residential, a good place is the washing machine. You know, it's got the, the two outlets and then you just run hoses to, um, you know, the shower heads and then it's just like a normal shower. Um, and then also, you know, we can use, if there's no water on site, we can use a bucket and then, you know, use a shower head that, um, you know, takes the water from the bucket and, you know, um, use it that way. And then also you got to heat, you know, the, the water as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, generally, you know, you can just have the, the hoses running from the washing machine to, to the shower head. Okay. And then yeah. it collects somewhere and runs through the filter. That's right. Yeah. It collects in the base of the shower. And then from there, there's a separate pump that, uh, has micron filters. And then you've got to pump that water through there and it gets filtered out and then it can be disposed of as water. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. 
What made you decide you wanted to get into asbestos removal? Um, honestly, when I came to Canada, I came to Kamloops, and um, that's where my now wife was studying university. And we just, um, I, I was so happy just to get work. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I was still young and I was still just kind of not knowing what I wanted to do. So I had a few couple jobs, and then eventually I got a job uh, working for a restoration company. And honestly, it was the the best company I've ever worked for. Just just how it was run and kind of how he was treated. And I was just like, wow, this is this is amazing. I, I didn't know you could work for a company that treats you so well. And uh, yeah, I mean, with restoration, um, so that's uh, fire, floods, uh, disaster, you know, um, job. So with that, obviously, you're coming across asbestos. So they had an asbestos division. And uh, they was like, do you want to do asbestos work? I was like, yeah, sure. Not knowing anything about it, just like, yeah, sure, I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm healthy, I can, I can do that. So, yeah, um, you know, and then, like I say, I just kind of fell in love with the procedures and exactly how it's meant to be done and the, the correct ways to do it. And quickly, you know, was made a supervisor and, you know, enjoyed like, you know, leading other people, showing them how to do it and how to do things the right way. And uh, yeah, that was kind of my introduction into asbestos all over from there. Yep. What made it so that company was so great to work for? Um, they really value, like, they just really valued their employees. Like, you know, disaster work, it's tough work. You're out all hours of the day. So you get a call at one o'clock in the morning, you know, somebody's basement's flooded. Can you go deal with it? And, you know, as a young guy with no commitments apart from the girlfriends, you know, um yeah it was just yeah i'll go work you know like i was just so happy to have have a job there. <laughs> i was like yeah i'll go do that but like they really they valued that they you know they realized how difficult that can be and you know they paid very well and um you know they they every week would do a meeting where the whole company get together like 20 people and they'd be like, okay, you know, this is the review we got from this customer, you know, blah, 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 Shane did a great job. And, you know, just, just having that recognition and work is like, you know, it just feels so good to, to be recognized when you're, you're doing well. And then that, that motivates you to, you know, want to do well again and, you know, get that recognition in front of your peers and your workers, you know. So it was just, it, I'd never come across that before with work and working for a company such as that. I'd never really experienced that before, so. Well, they treated you as a person and they gave you the recognition for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so simple, right? But it's amazing how many companies out there are not doing that and they just don't kind of appreciate the their employees, which if you don't have employees, you don't have a, a company, you know, it's the number one assets of your company, you know. It seems so common sense. It does, it does, but I mean, maybe I just got unlucky with the places I've worked in the past, but <laughs> you know, I do feel like it's it's not quite the norm, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What's a big fire and flood restoration job you've done? Um, it's, I mean, mainly the, the whole house, like the whole, you know, residential home, you know, demolitions basically, because with smoke and fire, it just devastates everything. Like, you know, there's a point where there's no longer any, you know, point in trying to, you know. Yeah, it's unsalvageable. Exactly. So it's just a case of complete demolition. And then sometimes it's just a case of completely tearing down the, the home. So, you know, there was there's one that sticks in my mind. It was in, near Kamloops. Um, and 
it was an abandoned building, but it had water just sitting in the basement for, I think, years. And because it had been sat there, it was the mold that had just, it was growing. It was its own little organism, this house. Like, because it, you know, it gets so warm and then it freezes and like the mold on the drywall, it was just, it was like spots that were, it was almost artwork. It was crazy, <laughs> but it was everywhere. Every square inch of the drywall was covered in mold of all different types of varieties. Up and to colors, the ceiling? Everything. The whole house was just mold, like, because the drywall was just feeding that mold and, you know, it was just, it was thriving. And then obviously when it gets hot, as it does in the mountains there, 30 plus degrees, it's just, you know, it's the perfect recipe for, you know, a mold house like that. And that, that was a, that was a huge one. That was, that was such a big, a big job. <laughs> yeah. Nature reclaimed that basement. Yeah, and all because this water was just sitting there and it was just creating this humidity and just creating this thriving environment for this mold to grow. Yeah, it was, it was, some people find it disgusting, but I found it pretty fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you guys go about removing that? So mold removal is very similar to asbestos removal in the procedures. Um, You've got a fully suit up you've got to have a respirator on different type of respirators you've got to be protecting yourself against um you know other types of pathogens and, and stuff like that so um but yeah the procedures are very similar to asbestos removal um you know when it comes to mold removal oh so then you have to double bag double bagging yep um obviously disposals are a little bit different just because it's molds it doesn't need to be disposed of uh, especially at the landfill but yeah, double bagging everything, uh, try and contain the area. So have it under negative pressure again, um, you know. Oh, you have to do the contain, the full thing, the negative pressure with the mold. Yeah. I mean, oh. you don't you don't necessarily have to every time. It depends on, you know, where the job is. But obviously, if you're doing part of a house, you want to contain those mold spores to just that house. So, you know, it's exactly the same, you know, way of doing a asbestos. You're kind of containing that area and the same procedures. Yeah. So you're dealing with a lot of dangerous stuff all the time. It seems that way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like um, sewage backups were probably probably the worst as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There were there were some interesting sewage sewage backups. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's a memorable one? Uh, there was an old guy who um, he'd been living there for a year, but he hadn't gone down to his basement for probably we we guessed probably a year, and he'd had a sewer backup. It was a you know substantial one where the sewer had actually come up from the basement bathtub and overflowed over the bathtub. So that just tells you how much sewage had come through, and didn't really obviously he didn't know that you know this was going on in his basement. And uh, yeah, it, it must have been a year or so. And then obviously there was a lot of stuff like that had been accumulated over the years. So he had a lot of belongings down there as well. And just everything destroys, you know, like once you get, once sewage touches materials, it's pretty much, uh, it's non-salvageable. Like drywall for sure. You've just got to get rid of it, you know, flooring, anything like that. Cause there's no way to clean it. You know, it's, um, you just got to demolish it really. But yeah, that was, that was a bad one. That was, uh, I felt, felt pretty bad for the, the homeowner though. Yeah. Yeah. He lost a lot of memories and yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously any paper documents, anything like that, it's, it's just, it's done, you know, it's, uh, you know, almost as bad as fire, you know, when you're removing things, you feel the emotion for the homeowner. 
Exactly. And that is honestly part of the reason why I love this industry is you, you know, you're connecting with people, like you're, you're helping people out in their time of need. You know, it's, um, they don't want you. <laughs> it's not, it's not a, you know, a necessary, um, you know, um, industry, but it's, it's needed, you know, and it's, uh, you're helping people when they most need it. And even with asbestos removal, you're, you're dealing with something that, Wait a minute. What do you mean it's not a necessary industry? Yes, it is. Well, I, you know, it is. No, you're right. It is. Yeah, it is a necessary industry. Because people, I don't think people realize what you're doing out there. That's true. Yeah. I mean, but what I try to say is just, there's a lot of DIYers out there that maybe don't realize, you know, that um, the dangers that um, asbestos has, or they don't believe the dangers that asbestos possesses, or they just don't care, you know. And that's kind of, you know, that's where WorkSafe are doing a great job in, you know, getting that information out to homeowners, contractors, builders about the dangers of what it actually, you know, how dangerous asbestos actually is and and the need to do things the right way. So, yeah. yeah. When you were doing that job for the, the senior that hadn't been to his basement, yep. it took an emotional toll on you. How do you recharge after a day of work? Yeah, it is tough. Like you do, you definitely feel it. Um, you know, for me, I I love hiking. I love nature. So Kamloops was, yeah, it's a shame we left there, but <laughs> the the wife's family's from Saskatchewan. So we was always going to move back here. You know, I, I loved it out there. And yeah, I mean, whenever I got a spare, spare bit of time, I just go out into the hills, go hiking. And that's my happy spot, you know, in life. I just love, love being out there hiking and, you know, climbing mountains and stuff. So. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So yeah. you do a little forest bathing while you're out there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, honestly, being in nature, is, it's the best way to, you know, kind of recharge. And honestly, I'm trying to give that to my kids. Like, I I mean, Saskatchewan's tough, especially in the winters, but we just try to get out as much. And, you know, in spring right now, it's just been a breath of fresh air, just getting out there and just, you know, going for a walk along the river and, and stuff like that. It just, it just feels so good. And feeling the sun and feeling the heat, it's a, it's a great feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of cool. You get that contrast of being inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially with the, the vermiculite removals, it's dark. It's, you're, you know, you're stuck in an attic and, you know, you're there for hours on end, you know, doing the removals and then you can come out and it just feels like a breath of fresh air to be able to get out of there. So. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, it is dark in the attic. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we have string lights, obviously, but um, it's just not not the same, you know. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> Does it get yeah. a little creepy up there? Uh, I, uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I mean, you're up there with other people, so it's, uh, you know, you feel, you feel fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What's the smallest space you've had to work in? Um... You know, doing like a mold removal in a closet, something like that, it's, um, you know, can be pretty tight, but some of the attics do get really tight. It's, um, it's all about the roof pitch, you know, how, how, you know, shallow the roof is. And yeah, I mean, there was one where it was about 1200 square feet. So, you know, a bit bigger than an average size house. And we literally was on our bellies the entire time. You couldn't, you couldn't get on your knees. It was that tight that you had to be on your belly and army crawl along boards just to be able to do, do the work. It was, uh, it was an extreme one. It was not very, uh, not very good. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel being in such a tight space? Oh, I'm, I'm fine with tight spaces. Like, you know, in the corners of attics, you, you have to get in there, you, you know, you've got to get all the insulation out. So 
you literally squeeze in there and you know you've got your arms extended and you're you're in there as tight as you can and sometimes you can't really wiggle at all but you, you're getting your fingertips to get the the insulation and i don't know it you're not going to get stuck. So it, <laughs> you know, it, it feels okay, but yeah. So I, you're, you're fine with it. Yeah. And like, honestly, when I get a new employee, the first question is, how do you feel claustrophobic? Have you ever been claustrophobic? Because if you are, then it's not going to be a job you're going to enjoy doing. You know, it's, um, it's usually the first question I ask is, you know, Oh, do you get claustrophobic? Cause it does, it does get tight, but like I say, it doesn't bother me, but I could definitely see how it would affect other people. Um, you know, for sure, it's uh, something to keep in mind. Right. Yeah. What's a checklist you look for in an employee then? Yeah, so the first one is clean shaven. Um, you know, I've had a couple <laughs> couple of people, you know, big beards that have been growing for years. And, you know, the first question when I interview is like, are you willing to shave? And it's like, sometimes, no, you know, I've been growing this beard for you know years and it's you know it can form somebody's identity you know if they've that's kind of how they look and so yeah um that's usually the first one um you know because we're wearing respirators you have to have that good seal so that's the only reason it's um you know well, it's not have, a fashion statement it's actually no, a functional one. yeah yeah okay. i mean you can't you're not allowed to do the job unless you can have a good seal with your respirator so that's that's the only reason why is um you know, you've got to be clean shaven to, to do the job. So that's always the first one. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it can be long, hard hours. It's physical work. But, you know, like I said, I you can get into a flow and, you know, you it goes quickly. So I, I enjoy the work itself. But, you know, they're, they're kind of the main ones is, you know, uh, are you willing to, you know, work long, hard hours? And, yeah, I mean, most people are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. you got to be able to withstand small spaces yep you need to be clean shaven so that the respirator will actually work that's right so you're yep. staying safe exactly yeah, yeah and that's then, really important <laughs> yeah. yeah and then you have to be willing to work long difficult hours because you got to get this job done in containment exactly like one you know once you go into containment there's no coming and going like as we said there's such a process to coming in and out that you know you go in you're expected to do you know a few hours of work to kind of maximize, you know, efficiency. It's, uh, you can't just go in for 10 minutes, come out for 15, go in for 10 minutes. Like you've got to be in there and, you know, you've got to work and you've got to be willing to be able to do that. And, you know, that's oh, kind of right. Cause you can't, you can't exit without decontaminating. Exactly. And it takes about 15 minutes to, to decontaminate, you know, properly. So, you know, you go in, do 15 minutes, you come out, <laughs> do 15 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's just not very efficient. So, you know, we do we do try to do longer stretches inside containment. So, you know, the the willingness to be able to do that is uh, pretty important. Yeah, um, definitely. What do you do yeah. to keep your crew's morale up? Um, you know, the, the typical biome, coffee, donuts, and, you know, make sure they're hydrated. That's, that's a huge one, you know um red bull stuff like that is oh, I gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait a minute. So how difficult is it to drink water and stay hydrated because you have the respirator is there a protocol on how to do that you can't you've oh. you've got to you know obviously hydrate yourself before you go in and then you know obviously if you do you know you do start feeling you know dizzy or anything like that of course you come out and you know drink some water but you know it's just looking after yourself you know you've got to stay hydrated you've got to eat you know 
it's uh it sounds like simple things but you've got to you got to look after yourself you know yeah. yeah but there's that extra step now yeah when you're doing it yeah you can't just g- come out and grab a bite to eat or you can't just come out and have a drink of water it's uh yeah there's a, there's ways to think about doing it so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a long process yeah exactly yeah. yeah how do you enjoy running the asbestos company now as opposed to working for that awesome employer yeah um it's challenging really challenging like um being a business owner it's definitely it's not what you expect when you start i think everybody starts out and has an idea of how it's going to be and and what it's actually going to look like and then once you get going it's it's so different to what you expected it's um you know you're managing people you're managing customers um you know there's there's just so many facets to it that it's uh you're not just doing the job you're not just doing a job anymore you're doing every job <laughs> you know especially with being a small company it's uh you know you kind of you're doing everything from you know and it is it's challenging that's 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 yeah. for sure what's yeah. your biggest challenge um people yep you know in terms of uh employees you know trying to find good employees you know honest integrity you know hard working um you know communication with customers is is huge you know that's something we you know pride ourselves on is you know just making sure we have you know good communication updates uh stuff like that it's kind of it's something that i think is lacking a little bit in the industry so it's something we you know really try to focus on um but yeah um you know like i say the procedures, the process, the job, it's not rocket science. It's, there's a set way of doing it. So the doing the job itself isn't that challenging, but it's everything else. It's, you know, um, trying to organize people, trying to, you know, deal with other com- companies, subcontractors, consultants, trying to organize all that. That's kind of where the, where, where the difficulties come in. Oh yeah, you got to manage yeah. all those moving pieces. Exactly. And make sure they fit together at yeah. the right time. That's right, yeah, yeah. what's the biggest perk of your job um flexibility i'd say um you know you're not just working for your hours anymore you're it's that was a hard mind shift to go from being an employee to being an entrepreneur is you know it's not just about the hours that you put in you're not getting paid for the exact hours that you put in it's it's all part of running the business so yeah, I mean, but then, you know, I might work a weekend to help a customer out or to, you know, catch up on a job. But then, you know, I might take a few days off during the week the next week just to spend time with a family or, you know, just to kind of recoup. So it is, I do really enjoy that flexibility. Um, we do seem to get a little bit quieter during winter, you know, just generally people do less renovations and there is quiet periods. So being able to take a bit of time off and just, you know, spend it with the kids and, and the wife and, you know, and yeah, I really like the flexibility. Nice. Gives you yeah. some time to spend the time with the people you love. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And during that not so busy time. Yep. 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 What do you do to manage it when it is the busy time? Um, well, I mean, great employees is definitely the key. Um, they can help out so much, you know, you, you, you have somebody who is able to do the work and run the jobs. You're able to focus on all that other stuff, such as, you know, um, organizing subcontractors and other trades and stuff like that. And that's kind of the key is just who you, who, who you have working for you is, uh, you know, they definitely help out in, in doing that. 
yeah, having reliable employees so you don't have to count them as a variable. It's a constant. Yeah, yeah. And I've definitely found that's been the biggest challenge with, uh, you know, starting the business is having, finding those reliable employees. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the biggest challenges, but it's a challenge that every every business faces. And, you know, it's something that's never going to go away. It's just going to be part of, uh, you know, being a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what should we call it? Sure, yeah.